0: Off a weekend that sees both Virgil Ortiz and Michael Conlon get back in action and both get victories. We're ready to recap it all on the Fight Freaks Unite Recap Podcast. I am your somewhat lucid host, TJ Reeves. He is inside of BigFightWeekend.com and his own Fight Freaks Unite Substack. Mr. Dan Rayfield back aboard. Lots to get to. Little news, little fight recaps. How you feeling off the weekend? Everything good? Yeah, everything is good. Hey, what happened last night in the Jake Paul fight? Uh, You know, uh, I don't believe anything happened, but I do know there was high entertainment if you were on social media on Sunday, depending on when you're hearing this. Because you landed more on Hasim Rahman Jr. than Jake Paul did, at least on social media with some of the point and counterpoint. And he's still calling you Daniel, by the way. So I'm going to call him Jr. Call him Jr. That's fine with that. We're going to get into all of that, fight recaps and more. Reminder, however you found us on this feed, if it's a social media link from Dan and his hammer of Thor following that he has... Uh, make sure you're following or subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast. That's the easiest way to get us, no matter when this recap comes out, Sunday night, Monday, whatever the case is. If you're following or subscribing, you'll get notified immediately you're in. We usually go into the weekend with the preview, usually out Friday morning. Then the recap comes off the weekend. We're here twice for you, peeps, every weekend. Easiest way to get it is to follow or subscribe. All right, so fight recaps in a few moments, news first. The Paul Rockman fight didn't happen. We've we've hashed and rehashed the weight reasons why the interesting news is twofold. Number one, Jake Paul puts out a statement, Dan, as you know, that says, hey, we were supposed to fight tonight. I'm going to go ahead and take care of the lower undercard guys besides Amanda Serrano and Brandon Lee. And I'm going to go ahead and pay them 50 percent of what they would have made anyway and their expense money for their training camps. So that's a nice gesture. Uh, and, and then we had this Rockman thing where Friday afternoon he puts on social media that he's standing on some scale that looks like it's straight out of Bed Bath and Beyond or some Marriott uh, uh, hotel room, whatever it is, uh, where they're doing a fake Friday afternoon weigh in, Dan, uh, that's not a legit weigh in, where he supposedly weighed about 206 and a half pounds, not 205, not 200. And, then, and so then you started engaging people and he started engaging you about the weight and the whole thing. So give us an update on uh, on swatting back and forth with Rachman Jr.
1: Well, first of all, as it relates to the uh, gesture of Jake Paul saying he would pay the undercard fighters that are not, a, you know, he's going to, the rescheduling of the fights around the pay-per-view will take place. Some of those undercard fighters who, who rely on that money to make a living, uh, you know, he's going to pay 50%, which is cool. He's not under any obligation to do so. Uh, He's doing that just out of, uh, I guess, the goodness of his heart and to know that they need that money. And, you know, all respect to to somebody like Amanda Serrano, for example, uh, she just made seven figures in uh, the end of April for her her great fight with Katie Taylor. It's not as though she's desperate to get the money so she can, you know, pay her phone bill or something like that. The other fighters on the card that are lower down that are fighting in the six and eight round type fights you know, which is the way they make their living, that's a bigger deal. So, you know, kudos to uh, to Jake and the MVP team for being willing to do that. They didn't have to do it. I don't know of any promoter that, that does that. It's just not something that's commonplace at all. I'm thinking two things.
0: Smart business, and he understands I canceled this whole thing when you all sure. were ready to fight.
1: And so I think that's a really good gesture, like you said. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. So that's the first thing. As far as the, the other stuff, I am still there's like a disconnect between people who just don't understand (laughs) what it means to sign a contract and the basics of business. Yeah. And that somehow that this is Jake Paul's fight. So let's just go through it very quickly. I don't want to spend a lot of time in this. I'm getting sick and tired of this shit. Mm -hmm. They were supposed to do Jake Paul, Tommy Fury. Tommy could not come to the United States. Jake Paul and his team didn't know that he blew off the press conference. He apparently did not make a strong effort to go and get his situation rectified. They could not wait on him. So at that point, the Paul people and Showtime had no point had had no choice, but to say, okay, you're out again. Remember he left them hanging in December also. That's correct. So, you know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, shame, shame on you. Then fool me twice, shame on me. So they left that uh, let that out of the, you know, uh, uh, to get away from that fight. And so now they need a replacement. They call around, they check with Rockman and his people asked him to 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 show them video evidence of what he weighed to know that he'd be able to make the way because they knew he's a heavier guy they showed him supposedly a video that that they that the rockman people later said rockman himself said i guess that they doctor that had showed him at 216 <laughs> when he was in actuality like 225, 225 226, or 226. Correct. whatever okay they did the fight now jake was gonna fight at you know, 188, you know, 90-type pounds against Tommy Fury. So they gave Rockman 200 because they thought he could make it based on that supposed video that turned out to be a fraud. Then when the commission is checking his weight, he's too, he's much heavier, and the commission, for their own health and safety rules, which makes sense, says, you know what, you guys want to do the fight, fine, but it's got to be at 205. So Jake reluctantly says, okay, fine, 205. So he gives him 10 on the original 200. He gives him five more to make it 215. Then Rockman's own promoter, Greg Cohen, tells the MVP and Jake Paul people, my guy is not going to be able to come in less than around 215 or so. What are they supposed to do? Right. They cancel the fight. He's not going to, because now as we discussed, if you say, okay. Or you, you say, no, he's got to make the contract. Now you go all the way up to the day of the weigh in. And now he's suddenly 10 pounds heavier than the contract. And it's much, 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 much worse. They cancel the fight at the weigh in than a week or two beforehand. That's right. Then for some asinine reason, Rockman says, I'm going to show you, I'm going to do an actual weigh in. I'm going to show you I can make the weight. So they get on a scale, supposedly, at the Gleason's Gym in Brooklyn. Overseen of the video I saw the video it's Bruce Silverglade, a very well respected uh, the owner of the of the of the Gleason Gym, an uh, uh, you know a uh, uh, integral part of the New York boxing scene for decades and he weighs supposedly uh, who knows if that was doctor 206 and a half I believe and he makes a big deal about it dude you're still not 205 you are still over right. the limit. So much, much less 200, which was the whole point in the first place. Right. Which the commission wasn't going to allow, but so you didn't make the 200, you didn't make the 205, you're still 206 and change, and you're making weight like a dummy because the fight's been off for a week. And
0: you also admitted that your own people were doctoring the scale, the first videos that you were sending out. So how stupid do we have to be to believe this stuff and to listen to this stuff? I'm with you. Say
1: whatever you want about Jake Paul, whatever. Rockman Jr. has zero and I mean, zero credibility. They're liars. And that's all there is to it.
0: Okay. And so that's why there's not a fight there. And we don't know when Jake Paul will fight again, but there's the back and forth with the social media and why that did not come off. Okay. A couple of, other. and by the way, the other yeah. thing
1: about it is if you follow uh, the Showtime uh, top, sport, you know, Showtime sports executive, the president of, uh, of Showtime sports, Steven Espinoza, Uh, You know, who has been pretty, you know, he's a pretty outspoken guy when it comes to his social media, especially Mm -hmm. compared to your average executive. Uh, Rockman Jr. tweeted at Espinosa the other day that that saying that that to Stephen, you could have easily kept this fight on, you know, instead of having a vendetta about some eight year old lawsuit, which I'm not aware of what that he's talking about. um, And, you know, that that he had called him unprofessional. And Espinoza was like, I'm going to read you the tweet. And this is perfect. If we had a vendetta, we wouldn't have approved you for the fight. I told you a while ago, (laughs) Showtime has a say-so over who Jake Paul fights on their pay-per-view platform. And FYI, the network doesn't decide whether or not to cancel. It's not our call. Your team told MVP you would miss weight by 10 pounds and told us to stop filming all access because the fight was off. Facts, not bias. That's all there is to it. Okay, so
0: so the clown show is over with Rockman Junior. et cetera, and uh, that ship has sailed. It's really
1: such a shame because I have such an affinity for Hossein Rockman Senior. that this is so disappointing to me. And and I'll say two. And I'd have given, by the way, I'd have given the kid a good chance to actually win the fight. How about that? All right. So I'll say two things. I
0: saw the fight earlier this year in late April, early May, whenever it was. I think it was April against uh, the son of the late Tommy Morrison, Mackenzie Morrison, or Kenzie Morrison and it was i mean they were in slow motion fighting each other it it was less than rocky four let's say it was not even close so that's the first thing that makes me sit back and go i I don't know what we would have really seen anyway in this fight with jake paul and And he lost by the way yes and he got stopped and then and the next part of this is this is the big time business of boxing. And you even put this out there. And I've checked with a couple of different people, too. This was going to be a lucrative event all the way around this BS that's out there that they weren't selling tickets, and
1: they weren't going to make serious revenue. Listen, let me let me address it's just that, that. illuminate that real quick. And we'll move on. No one from the MVP side from the Showtime side from Madison Square Garden, where I've known people for literally decades who I have trust in when they tell me things i've known them for many 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 years none of those folks were saying this is going to be a sellout it's going to be a 10 million dollar gate. they all knew this was not the biggest boxing event that they were hosting however according to those people at the garden in particular said absolutely uh, that the stru- sales were strong going into the fight remember they still had a week before that's right uh, and, and boxing uh unless it's a real mega fight Mayweather pack. Yeah, like fights don't sell out. Like usually if whatever the strongest demand is right at the very beginning of the tickets on sale. And then in the last, you know, the week or, you know, several days before the fight. And that was what the case was in this term. They were getting close to fight week, which, you know, tickets always pick up. Point was, they say that that fight based on what they'd already sold was going to be in the top 10 grossing fights that MSG has done in 15 years, which means it's still going to be a seven. Say that again. Say that again. The fight was going to be projected as a top 10 highest grossing boxing event at Madison square garden over the past 15 years, which means it's not, you know, a $10 million mega, mega fight, a big Golovkin fight or a big Cotto fight or Trinidad or whatever, but it was still going to be a pretty big gate. You know, and I have all these jokers who think they know everything about Ticketmaster. Well, do you see all the empty seats on the Ticketmaster map? Anybody that knows anything about how tickets are scaled and how boxing events are sold or concerts or anything like that, they didn't necessarily release every single seat in the arena on day one. They released a certain amount. And then if they sell or there's demand for certain locations, then they released more. The point is the fact that anybody that says this fight was canceled strictly based on lagging ticket sales is stupid and doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. Next there, topic. There we go.
0: And, and by the way, on the one that was here at the Amelie Arena, the downtown home of the of the Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning, I know this from those arena people, they sold several thousand tickets the week in the weekend of the fight, sure. to your point. And this yes. goes on over and over and over again as you hype things up. And that's what you were referencing with the uh, Steven Espinoza calling off the all-access uh, coverage that was going on, the promotion that was going on that was going to build to more ticket sales for a summer Saturday night blah
1: blah blah especially in and the social media all in the social stopped. media world that we live in so mm. much of the of the hype happens that last week and once they hit new york and the cameras were on and the youtube stuff was running and the guys are on social media and and the reporters were writing about it, and the youtube folks were covering it i mean and the even the local news outlets in new york city were covering it yeah because this was not just a boxing event because of where the the position that sort of jake occupies within boxing as well as in just pop culture it would have become a different point. And the point I made to you last week was, you know, it's a big deal when the New York times, which for decades has done a shitty job covering boxing. Uh, I was told that three reporters that were, were seeking (laughs) credentials to cover various aspects of this event. So, Uh, we spent way too much time in this, TJ. My friend. Good
0: enough. Let's move on. There's a couple of other news items. Then we're getting to the recaps of the Ortiz KO win of Michael McKinson, Michael Collins decision win earlier in the afternoon, which by the way, are we still, have we still got the APB out the all points bulletin? What happened to Man, uh, Miguel Mariaga and, mm-hmm. and his no show in Ireland Saturday afternoon. We'll get to all that in a moment. Two other news items. Uh, Jack Catterall, you, uh, you wrote about this this weekend. This may be helping the rematch with Josh Taylor because he's got a new promotion.
1: Go ahead, give us more. Oh, no doubt. This is uh, this is all about paving the way to finalizing a rematch against Josh Taylor. Of course, they had a very controversial fight back earlier in the year. Uh, Caderell lost a, a highly controversial decision that allowed Taylor to keep the undisputed 140-pound title. Now, Josh has since either vacated or been stripped of two of those belts because he had two mandatories uh, back-to-back that were going to have to be at the same time, so he was only able to make one of them. But he decided, and smartly so in my opinion, uh, from the point of view of what the fans are interested in in terms of what his paycheck will be, he decided to pursue this rematch with Caderell. Uh The problem was Caterell was with Probellum. Um, whether you agree with this or you don't agree with this, Sky Sports, which is the, the platform on which Josh Taylor fights in the UK, uh, which is where Top Rank has an exclusive deal, they are not permitting fighters that are associated with Probellum to compete on their air because of the Probellum's purported ties to uh, the mobster, alleged mobster, Daniel Kinnan, So he was with Probellum. So that was a non-starter. So we had to find a way to make it work. So, you know, good on Probellum and good on Caterall for working out their situation. Uh, Probellum didn't want to stand in the way of him getting the opportunity. Richard Schaefer, the president of the company, uh, you know, made some comments about that. Said, you know, we're not looking to stand in the way of our guy getting the shot. So, you know, we're doing the right thing. We're stepping aside. Fair enough. They they, stay, they work out a release. He then signed with Boxer, which is the other, uh, company in Britain that has an output deal with Sky Sports. Uh, they have a close relationship with top Rank since they're both on Sky Sports. The upshot is Taylor remains with top rank. Caterell now is with Boxer, not with Probellum. Boxer is on Sky. Josh is on Sky. And now he's allowed to be on Sky because of this new deal. And that will probably uh, almost certainly pave the way for them to meet in a rematch come November, which is obviously a very significant fight. And the 140 weight class, it's a big deal. Obviously, for Sky Sports, it's a huge fight for UK, uh, and they'll they'll do it again, and we'll see what happens because mm-hmm. of the first fight so controversial that people want to see it again.
0: Again, run it back. It's going to be an exciting fight towards the end of the year. We're all for it. And hey, I what know a Jack. Novel- by the way,
1: Jack's super excited about it. I actually traded some uh, some uh, messages with uh, Jack, uh, direct messages on Twitter over the weekend, and uh, you know he is he's grateful to Pro Bellum for for handling the business. And he's looking forward to getting the fight made and finalized.
0: And we've talked about this because you and I began doing this uh, podcast and our relationship, our content relationship right after that. F- I thought he won that fight. I really did. think, And he even scored a knockdown of Josh Taylor in the fight. And then you had the wonkiness of the referee taking a point away from both of them as the as the fight uh, unfolded at the very end. So this is a highly intriguing rematch. And let's hear it for all parties involved that they put their egos and their business whatever out of the way and got this done because as you were just saying this i was thinking to myself that the pro bellum people could have stood in the way and could have said no we're not going to let that happen but at least as you said they let him out of their deal he now goes over to boxer and now we can have caterall taylor too and we look for that to get announced at some point here coming up and we think uh, November. One more news item, and that is Nonito Donair off the weekend wants to continue to fight. Tell us more. And do you do you have concern that now at almost 30, what, nine years
1: of age that he's continuing on? What about it, Dan? Well, he turns 40 November. Um, wow. And, you know, I, I don't I don't have huge concerns. I mean, yes, he got beat pretty well by in a way, but who hasn't been beaten pretty well by Inaway? way? So a loss to him uh, is not the worst thing in the world. At least he didn't take huge amounts of damage in that fight. It wasn't like it, you know, he got beat down in six rounds, eight rounds, 10 rounds, 12 rounds. Uh, he got stopped just really quickly in round number two. So, not a lot of punishment there. And I, I kind of had the feeling that he was going to continue. I watched some of his uh, comments after the fight. He has his own YouTube channel where he was on there doing a the thing and was talking about how he was, uh, you know, was he got caught and, you know, that happens and he's going to carry on. But, you know, that was right after the fight. So now that he's had a time. Uh, over the last you know, month or so to reflect on what occurred, uh, he made the decision that he wants to go forward. So he's with Probellum and his desire. And this is not a surprise to me, T.J. because even before he had the way fight, I, I know this from having interviewed Nonito, that he's wanted for a long time as a guy that's won titles from flyweight to featherweight, but the one-weight class, he never won a – well, he won an interim title, but he doesn't count that. I don't count that. He never won a title at junior bantamweight, 115 pounds. He has said all along he can still make 115, and he would be uh, excited to do that for the opportunity to win the fifth belt that you know would be make him a five-division champion, and that's a very rich weight class in terms of name opponents and, and the money that it can generate compared to some of the other smaller weight classes. So what he would like to do, and I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, he'd like to move down and fight uh, Kazuto Ioka for his 115-pound title belt. Uh another Japanese fighter. No Nito is well known in Japan. Obviously, the fight would be in Japan if they could make the fight. So uh Richard Schaefer, his promoter, is supposedly talking to Mr. Honda from Tekken Promotions about doing that fight. And the other fighter he mentioned, if the you know, his preference is to get the belt. But he'd also like to fight Roman Chocolatino Gonzalez, which is, mm. as Nonito said, that's legend versus legend. That's you know, two lock hall of fame greats, you know, taking each other out in the later stages of their career. Now just Real so quick, you know are
0: you concerned about him being too weight drained it's tough enough to make 118 as a 39 or 40 year old and he's amazingly continued to do it but now he's got to he's got to back up even more
1: to 115 right i'm really not because he said before he got on the scale for the inner fight which is a 118 weight limit he was 117 he said he'd have no problem taking two more pounds off so i'll take his word at it i mean wow but the, but the thing about the, the roman gonzalez fight i mean that's like fantasy baseball stuff that's like that's such a great name. Two great names against each other. You'd like to see it. Uh, they're both getting on in years. They're both, uh, you know, it's still evenly matched from the standpoint of where they are. I think Roman might be a little too small for Donaire, but it's it's probably unlikely. And I say that because Gonzalez most likely is next going to still fight the third, the rubber, ma- the rubber match, the trilogy fight with uh, Juan Francisco Estrada, who is not going to wind up fighting the mandatory against Franco. He'll end up just doing the fight with Chocolatito for his wbc franchise title they don't even need a belt they're just two great names and they need to settle their score so that's the fight for roman that's probably next at the end of this year um and and in a way uh we'll do his thing and Donaire will move on and hopefully get a chance to fight ioka we'll see what happens is with that, that but,
0: possible for late this year an ioka fight because ioka fought this summer too and defended possible yeah, I mean,
1: it, it is possible i think just based on if, if, if Donair is interested and if Ioka is interested, and I don't know if Ioka is or not, but you have to figure Ioka against Donaire from Ioka's point of view has got to be the most lucrative fight he can make. And keep in mind also in the Japanese culture, they do a lot of big fights on the, in the new year's week, particularly new year's Eve, J- December 30th. So based on when both guys have fought, it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility that if they, if they can actually get the fight made, that it seems like it would make sense to have on one of those big new year shows. So I think it's possible. We'll see.
0: All right. We'll find out on that. We do know what did happen this past weekend and we spent enough time not talking about it. Let's get into it. Virgil Ortiz successfully returned in Fort Worth, Texas, golden boy promotions, main event did get a ninth round stoppage and just under the under off our bet us show and the bet us platforms. We did get the under on the KO for Ortiz, a TKO of Michael McKinson of England, your thoughts on the win. Ortiz, by his own admission, said, I wasn't listening to my corner, hard-headed. I'm paraphrasing here, and it took a little longer, but he still got the TKO and uh, and got it in time to get it
1: in the under eight and a half rounds. Your thoughts, Dan? Well, I thank him for the under. I think if you take into account all six of, uh, at least the six picks I made, which was three fight results and three over-unders... Um, the big man went five and one this weekend. I'm feeling yes, good about that. And
0: I went five for five. So they need to, the peeps need to be on the bet. U S show Fridays at one Eastern time on their platforms, on YouTube and on their app, etc. because we're giving out great advice. It ain't like we're giving out losers. And I know a lot of times we're picking favorites, but favorites get upset. They get beat, they get knocked out, whatever. So we're rolling. Well, along. I mean, I, we
1: both had the, uh, the upset special. We both went with cobs. That's correct. And, and hooker was uh hooker was uh, our uh, cobs was what? Um, plus, 450 for the knockout. And I thought you were
0: golden on that. We'll get to that fight in a minute, but yeah. back to okay. Ortiz, back yep. to Ortiz in the main event. How did he look to you off the year layoff with the
1: blood disorder and gets the win? Well, I thought he was really harsh on himself in his post-fight interview on the uh with Chris Mannix, where he said, you know, that he really didn't do anything good in the first seven rounds. And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? A, you won all seven rounds. Uh, One judge, I think, gave uh, mckinson round one but other than that i think he swept those rounds because another judge gave mckinson like round eight i think or seven whatever it was but the point was in the third round he almost knocked him out he knocked his mouthpiece out he was battering him with uppercuts and right hands and hooks and body shots he really showed the full diversity of the arsenal that this young man possesses virgil ortiz is a a very complete offensive fighter he does not have one flaw that i can tell anyway in his offensive game he can use both hands he goes to the body, he goes to the head. And as I said, hooks, right hands, uppercuts. Um, he can fight on the inside. He, he can fight at range a little bit. He's really a talented offensive fighter and defensively, you know, people look at him and they just see an offensive monster and they don't also realize that he, he does a pretty good job. He keeps his hands up high. He doesn't get caught clean. He parries pretty well. Um, it looked worse for the wear because there was a head button round one that cracked him open on the side of his left eye. Yeah. And so the blood's running down his face. So you think he's like in trouble, but that was, he, you know, the end that was right at the end of the first round. The corner uh, did a tremendous job of keeping that cut closed. So it never really became a factor for him uh, in the fight. So I think Virgil was way too harsh on himself after the year layoff, taking on a tricky guy, a southpaw, a guy who's undefeated. Say what you want about him. But, you know, McKinsey may not have any punching power but he's got some good skills and he, and he was, you know, able to move a little bit and, he, and you can't take away from McKinson's heart. He took a lot of heavy shots and he never really went down or, or looked close to going down until the body shots finally got to him um, in, in the later part, you know, right before the fight was stopped. And the end of the very end of the eighth round, a great body shot, put him on the mat, got up. And Virgil was really smart about it because he didn't let him off the hook. Some guys wouldn't, wouldn't do this. Other, other guys like he did, which is he didn't, he didn't let him try to recover more. He went right after him in the opening seconds of round nine, hit him again with a body shot. And as Virgil said, it wasn't even like a great shot, but he got him. It was still tender. I went I, thought, down, I thought,
0: too, he slipped and sprained his ankle with the body shot simultaneously because when he got up, the referee even said, are you all right? Do you want to continue? Can you walk? I thought he said, can you walk? Because I thought he, but he saw him maybe sprain the ankle. It may have been tender, but that... When that was not clear, the reason clearly for the when fight, Ortiz came and, back around to his left and he tried to avoid him, he was hobbling like TJ in the night when I hit the coffee table, just as a metaphor, trying to get away from Ortiz. So he did something there early in the ninth round, but, but we'll that, take it. We'll take it on the under,
1: whatever, whatever was up with his leg or his ankle. A, he didn't discuss it to my knowledge after the fight. And B it, it was not the reason the fight ended. The fight ended because he was getting hammered and, and the corner to their credit, his father, the trainer, mm-hmm. uh, they threw the towel in. they did not want to see him take any more damage. Look, Say what you want about McKinson, but you know what? He, he of course he would have liked to win the fight. But based on the fact that he was able to hang in there like he did for, you know, eight plus rounds with one of the best young fighters in the weight class in Mall of Boxing, who was a devastating puncher and a tremendous offensive force. And he was able to do what he did. It's going to actually get him other fights and other opportunities. And and I I don't know if he's going to beat the elite, elite guys at Welterweight, but Certainly on the British level, he can win fights. He could become the European champion. He could become certainly the British or the Commonwealth champion, those types of fights. And he could, you know, if in the right circumstance, I can see him being welcomed back here in America by a promoter looking to find a good solid fight for one of the younger guys I have. So McKinson uh, probably made more fans and more recognition in this one defeat than he made in his previous uh, 22 victories that he was undefeated in.
0: And again, it's not like it was over in a round or two. It took it until the ninth yeah. round, and that's to the credit of his defense, his toughness, Ring rust for Ortiz no, listen, whatever, and Ortiz.
1: And he made the, you know, Michael made the point in his post fight comments that he's proud of himself. Uh, a, he came to the other guy's hometown. He was fighting Virgil in his backyard, essentially in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Uh, you know, Virgil's from Grand Prairie, which is in that in that in the Dallas Fort Worth area. F- took place in Fort Worth. And so there's that to be, uh, you know, he, he showed no fear in that sense. And also, um, there's not a lot of guys out there that are looking to fight Virgil Ortiz and he was ready, willing, and able, not once, but twice. Remember he signed for the fight in March, the fight got called off because of Virgil's uh, medical condition that we've discussed. And then when the fight came back around, um, he wasn't their first choice, but when they offered it to him a second time, he took it and he went there and he, and he didn't just show up to get a paycheck. He showed up there to fight the guy. And, uh, again, he lost basically every round, but it was, um, it was a. It was as, um, It was a good effort, I and mean, that's all you can. You know, when guys lose, that happens. My expectation, uh, as a fan, as a journalist, is if you lose, that happens. You're going. Someone's going to win. Someone's going to lose. To me, are you giving a, re- a legit effort? And Michael McKinson gave a Herculean effort in that fight. Just – right. in- Go his way. So I'm going to ask
0: you the same question in a couple of minutes about Michael Conlon off the win. And that is the what is next question I'm asking yep. now about Ortiz. What do you believe will be next for him? Because they want him back in the ring before the year's over with. What do you think's next?
1: Well, that's a good question because the fight technically was a WBA welterweight title eliminator. So from what Golden Boy says that and they didn't get that upgrade in the status of the fight literally till the week of the fight. So when they announced that it wasn't an eliminator, it was just for the uh, WBO regional belt that was on the line. In any event, because it was a WBA welterweight eliminator, uh, Golden Boy says it was the fight to become the mandatory for Stanionis, Samantha Stanionis, who has the WBA regular title. He is, of course, the mandatory for Errol Spence, who is the super champion and the unified three-belt champion. But there's not going to be any title action going on because I don't think the Stanionis fight is going to happen right away, if ever. Um, I don't think it's due, frankly. And number two, Stanionis made an agreement to step aside uh, to not pursue the Errol Spence mandatory that the WBS has. They've been ordering their various super champions and regular champions to fight because, like everybody, they'd like to see the Errol Spence fight against Terrence Crawford. That fight's getting closer and closer to being made. I think it will get finalized. And so, you know, the good thing is for fans is we're going to have clarity because that fight will happen. The bad news for some of the boxers is the pathway to a fight for a title is blocked right. because... The big one is coming. So what is Virgil Ortiz to do? He's going to just have to stay busy with Golden Boy trying to secure the best possible opponent that's available to him. Now, we'll talk about the particulars of the fight, but Blair Cobbs in the welterweight division did win on the undercard. Looked very good in uh, taking out, taking apart Maurice Hooker. Uh, it would not be a total shock to me if uh, Virgil Ortiz wound up fighting Blair Cobbs.
0: Interesting. Uh, Terrence, I'm not saying that's
1: going to be happening, but right, that's just, right. that's in, just common sense.
0: Interesting that Terrence Crawford was around in the corner of Maurice hooker, et cetera, for that uh, undercard fight where Cobbs knocked off hooker. Uh, could Terrence Crawford and Ortiz happen in the event? I, I know we want the Spence fight to happen, but in the event the Spence fight doesn't happen, could Crawford Ortiz, give me a quick take. Could Crawford Ortiz be in our
1: future because Crawford's
0: a promotional free agent.
1: Possible? Yeah, I think it's possible. I mean, when he defeated, when, 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 uh, Virgil defeated hooker last year, he was asked about the prospect of the Crawford fight. Are you ready for that fight? Mm-hmm. And he gave a great answer. He's like, I don't know if I'm ready, but I want the fight. He wants to fight for the title. He's hungry. He's only 24 years old. He knows it's a short career. He's mentioned he's an introspective kind of guy. And he's like, I want to, I want to, let's get on with things. So I think if the fight was there and it, and it was offered to him, he would definitely take it. Um, I do believe that Crawford and Spence will get done. If it doesn't for something, some reason that, that messes that up, I think that's a possibility. Now, whether Golden Boy would do that fight and be willing to pay Crawford what he wants and they can work out all the, all the nonsense of futures and this and that options. I mean, these are complicated things uh, when you're at the level of a Terrence Crawford. I know as an athlete, there's no doubt in my mind Terrence Crawford would take the fight. And actually, you know, I give props to Terrence Crawford because he was there because of Maurice Hooker. Uh, who's in his camp? But he stuck around to watch the main event, obviously. And when he was interviewed on the zone, he was very complimentary of uh, of Virgil Ortiz's overall game. And uh, I like to see that. So that'd be an explosive fight, personally. With with Crawford being considered one of the top couple of fighters in boxing, you know. And this is not a knock on Virgil Ortiz. It's hard to see Virgil actually winning that fight, at least right this moment but you got to respect them for having the desire to do it. Cause it's not like a lot of guys are calling out Terrence Crawford. Not that that's right. Virgil's calling him out, but when asked specifically about it, he's like, yeah, of course I'll fight the guy. I don't think we're going to get there because I think there's other business that's going to happen, but uh, it feels like, and I don't have any knowledge of this, but when you put a welterweight fight on the same card and, and, you, and the guy wins the fight and looks pretty solid in doing mm-hmm. so it's not, you know, and they're not looking to, they know there's no mega fight for Virgil in the next fight. And, He's available. Cobb's is going to get paid the most he ever got paid, presumably if they make the match. Virgil will make another uh, another good paycheck. It'll probably be, you know, a good solid matchup in terms of like being able to promote it. Blair's a promotable guy. Virgil's a promotable guy. They'll make a nice event out of it. Is it the greatest welterweight fight you could ever make? Obviously not, but who knows? I think that it's. It, I think there's a possibility that they'll look in that direction.
0: This ain't rocket science, as I always Correct. have quoted and like to say. That's not a coincidence that he was there. And Cobbs gets the upset win over uh, Mo Hooker, who used to be a junior welterweight champion. But, man, that seems like it was uh, a decade ago now. He lost to Jose Ramirez. He lost to Virgil Ortiz. And he got jumped all over uh, by Blair Cobbs in the first round, knocked down with an overhand right hooker, and then knocked down again in the second round with a straight left. Two weeks. All right, so to wit, I have people over and I'm having a I'm having a get together with some guys at my house, and I'm able to sort of pay attention, but not. And when I saw the second knockdown, I just sent you the quick text: Blair Cobb's exclamation point exclamation point I thought you were golden for the plus four fifty knockout. You are now blaming me that I jinxed it. So give me <laughs> your analysis because Cobb's jumped
1: all over Hooker and got the win. He just didn't get the KO. No, he got him down once in the first round. He got him down two more times in the second round. Uh, you know pretty much through the first six rounds, let's say he was fairly dominant. Uh, Maurice Hooker did come back a little bit in the later stage of the fight and won a couple of rounds and uh, and touched up uh, Blair Cobbs also. But the fight was never in doubt in my mind. Um, the, you know, When you score three knockdowns in a 10-round fight, you know, it's really hard to come back and win. You know, Hooker, as I said on our Bet US show, I felt like he was disinterested. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did not have a good training camp, obviously. He didn't come in in the right condition. He was... He missed the contract weight by quite a bit. He was much heavier even before he got down to the 150 he was at, but he was still three pounds over. Um, you know, no knock on Maurice in this sense. He's been going through a lot personally because um, Stacy Snyder, uh, the very well-known, if you're in the boxing circles, a well-known photographer from the Dallas area, who's, who i have known for, I'm knew for many years, very, very uh, lovely woman. Terrific photographer too, by the way. She was like a second mother to Maurice Sucker and very close to, to him. Her ex-husband was Maurice Hooker's manager for many years, um, and they had a very tight knit group there for a long time. So when she passed, unex- you know, unexpectedly about a month ago, wow. you know, it hit Maurice very hard. So if you saw the the gear that they were wearing in the ring, it said Miss Stacy on on the headbands, and that, that's what there he called go. her. So he was going at that fight with a very heavy heart, um, a heavier body than he probably would have liked to, based on not making the contract weight, um, coming off a loss. Coming off a long layoff, coming off a busted hand, just had everything against him. Just you could just tell the minute he got in the ring, the body language was terrible. Did you? And, I know uh,
0: you saw this. I saw this on a replay. Like after the set, third round, maybe second round, he stood there facing his own corner, looking up in the sky, almost like, "What am I doing here?" I know you. Oh, saw, you could definitely. I tell. know you saw that, and I'm like. Yes. Is this, are they going to go ahead and stop it for him and just say, live to fight another day or do something else? Because he was standing, it was weird for a second. And then it was almost like,
1: what am I doing here? Right? Is what it looked like. You could tell that at that exact moment, he's going, he's having a conversation with himself. Mm -hmm. Do I want to still do this? Now he didn't go so far as to have like a total breakdown. It wasn't like, you know, I remember watching when Oliver McCall took the breakdown against Lennox Lewis. The most famous one. But the internal pressures and internal turmoil that, that Maurice Hooker was going through, uh, was very evident, you know, and the thing about it is, and I don't sit here and tell you, I know Maurice Hooker well, but I've been around him. Like we've ridden on the van together to the airport after fights and hung out and, you know, shoot the shit for half an hour, actually in Dallas after a certain fight. Uh, or I mean, when we were, uh, uh, I forget what fight it was. Oh, you know what was? It was when he fought in Turning Stone, not Dallas. When he fought in Turning Stone Casino, upstate New York, against Mikel Lespierre. Just by coincidence, he defended his title that night at 140 pounds. And the two of us were together in in the in the shuttle bus. Just it was like the two of us and like maybe one other person going to the airport <laughs> like seven in the morning. And he's so got, I'm riding the, and he's got the belt, and he's hanging with his luggage, and he's hanging with my man Rayfield. I love. Yeah. It. So, but the point is, so when you're in those moments and you're riding to the airport, like. They're, I'm not interviewing him. We're just two guys shooting the shit. And so you kind of get a feel for a guy like that. I've done, you know, and that's happened, you know, a few times with different fighters over the years. So Maurice is actually a pretty cool guy. He's a funny guy, mm-hmm. whatever. And I kind of I felt really bad for him because he was really going through it. And to his and Terrence
0: credit. Terrence Crawford, if I can interject, was trying to yep. help him, was in the corner in his ear, trying to help motivate him. And he fought better as the fight went on. But Blair Cobbs was motivated. Blair Cobbs was tough, suffered the head clash and the cut, fought through it. So we should give him some credit, too, because I was just going to say,
1: as it relates to uh, Maurice Hooker, he got over that moment of of really big uh, insecurity or not not sure what he's supposed to do or do I want to quit? Do I want to fight? And he did come back a little bit in the last few rounds of the fight. Um, But Cobbs had just had too big of a lead. Cobbs was still hungry to win. I said this again on the bed show and couldn't other than not getting the knockout. Everything I said was exactly the case that mm-hmm. you have in the case of Blair Cobbs, a hungrier, fresher guy who's really into it that wants to prove himself still make his name, get the get the, the name of a, of a former champion on his record. And, and the other guy playing out the string near the end of his career, not in the best frame of mind, physically or mentally. And you put all that together, you mix it up in the in the, in the ring, and, and and the the Cobb side is going to come out on top. And you know Blair fought a good fight. It's the biggest win of his career by far. Yeah. And as I said, I think it's going to help him get a bigger fight after that because no I think there's probably a, re- a legit possibility he may get a get a, a, an opportunity to fight
0: sign, sign me up for him and Ortiz based yeah. off of that, if they can make it happen later this year, and they might very well be in progress of doing that right now, Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy, if that's the case. One more fight to cover, and that is the Michael Conlan win in Ireland, headlining in Belfast, his hometown, Saturday night in Ireland, Saturday afternoon, U.S. time. Please answer for me, what was up with Miguel Mariaga, who – Okay, far be it from me, and I know you've done this uh, at the highest level much longer, it's easy for us to criticize, but he he almost was like hesitant to fire for the fear of getting counterpunched, not giving much effort to throw punches to the point that Jamel Herring on the commentary that we were getting from top-ranked boxing uh, and ESPN plus kept saying, I don't understand. Where's the, where's the offense? What is he trying to, what, where's game plan? Where is something as this fight went out? All right. So there's my thoughts. What are your thoughts on Conlon getting the win? He was the better fighter, but Mariaga was not the Mariaga we had thought was going to be in the ring, giving him a test.
1: There was no test there. I thought Mariaga would be a little bit more aggressive offensively. Uh, you know, I always thought that Conlon would win. I said it on the bet. U S show. I thought it was going to be an easy win for him on a decision. Uh, but Mariaga was was even worse than I thought he would be. He just did absolutely nothing. He weighed, and this this is what pisses me off. He has the capability. wasn't injured, so you know, not that we are aware of. He never said anything about it after the fight. He loses every single round, and they're not even close. He gets knocked down in round seven, eight, and nine. Now they weren't heavy knockdowns, but they counted. One of them I thought was a slip, but that's yeah, beside. It. He's down three times, but not hurt. So he's way behind in the scorecards, and he still is not doing anything. He waits until the last round to really go after it. And in the last round, when he's really going after it, he actually had some success. He, he rocked Conlon with one shot and in Collins mind, he's like, Oh my God, here we go again. Because remember the last time he was in the ring, he was ahead again against Lee Wood and in the last round. He got clobbered and got knocked out of the ring for a knockout loss and uh, had been ahead in that, in that title, in that title fight. And now in his own mind, as Michael said afterwards, you know, he's like, here we go again. You know, he was having to fight the demons, as he said, in that last mm-hmm. round. So if Mariaga could have jumped him a little bit sooner in the fight, he might have had a bigger opportunity to do something. But look, Mariaga—he is what he is. He's now—he's a journeyman fighter. He didn't show up. I wouldn't want to see him again. Forget about him in my mind. He just did nothing. Um, you know, he's lost pretty Sixth much every loss time he loss of his career.
0: Six loss of his career, and a lot of them recently. Agreed.
1: And three of them were in world title fights. Uh, the, the loss in his career. Um, he's now lost three of uh, what is it? Three of his last four fights, um, and they haven't really been competitive at all. He lost. He got wiped out pretty much by, by uh, Joette Gonzalez. He, his one victory was, you know, was a a fight against a a nobody journeyman type, you know, just a live body in the ring. He lost Eduardo Romero's decent contender at one thirty, and then got essentially shut out uh, by Michael Conlon in the show on Saturday. So um, he can still get fights, but he's a journeyman at this point for Conlon. Look good for him. It was, uh, they brought him back against what we thought was a legit opponent at the time. He's coming off the one loss uh, and a knockout at that and a dramatic one. Even on top of that, he gets a win in front of the hometown in Belfast and Northern Ireland, uh, had a good crowd there. And, uh, now he's back in position to, uh, to take the biggest fight they can get for him,
0: and quickly, he was very effective to the body. He was very patient. Yes. He was the better fighter, so he deserves the win. So, uh, what is next for him? He would he would probably love another shot at Lee Wood in a rematch. I don't know how realistic that is. What do you think is next for Conlon? Is he going to have to take another contender type
1: fight and await a way to title shot later in 2023? I mean, he said afterwards he would love the rematch with Lee Wood. Uh, I don't, I can't say for sure. I know that would be a lucrative fight over there. Uh, it's going to depend on how they're going to go through with this WBA situation. Uh, after lots of back and forth, the W finally ordered and now the purse bit is scheduled. They, they they mandated what the split would be. He has ordered Lee Wood to defend, or not defend, he would ch- technically, I guess, be the challenger to fight the, the super champion, which is Leo Santa Cruz, which is a very good fight, by the way. Very interesting, worthwhile type of matchup. Um, whether he'll go through with that or not, Maybe they think there's more money in a Conlon fight, and they would, you know, give up the belt. I'm not sure if Conlon would want to do that fight if there was no belt at stake. So that has to play out. We're not going to really remember to on the other side to, re- hold to on. refresh. We're not, we're not, hold on. We're not going to know until the purse bid date comes and goes.
0: And and to refresh on the other end, Santa Cruz doesn't necessarily want the Lee Wood fight, right, Dan? Because he's interested also in Ray Vargas. So we got kind of both sides, and who really wants this fight? And and so what you're saying is maybe Santa Cruz vacates and doesn't want the purse bid. In which case, could that maybe be Conlan and Wood for the for the vacant super WBA? Uh, featherweight championship. I don't know, but we got to on that possible.
1: to decide first, right? Look, Santa Cruz told the WBA, "I'll, I'll, I'll do the purse bid, or okay. I'll do the negotiation with Wood." And Wood did the same thing. Now, could they change their mind? I said this when the WBA was hemming and hawing about pushing forward with the order for Wood versus Santa Cruz. When uh, the Santa Cruz team came to the WBA and asked for an exception to do a Ray Vargas unification fight, Ray Vargas being. Uh, the newly crowned champion in the WBC, who also happens to be like Leo, a PBC fighter, making it a very makeable fight for them. And the, the, the scenario you laid out, I think is possible. It's not out of the realm that Leo would just give up that title, challenge Vargas for the WBC title. If that were to occur, there would now be down to one champion in the WBA, which would be Lee Wood. He could possibly give an optional defense to Michael Conlin. That would take care of that because it will have accomplished a few different things. One, they got down to one champion, however they did it in the WBA. And two, it would provide each of those two guys with reasonable other fights because, Mm -hmm. look, a Lee Wood-Michael Conlon fight's a big deal, right? Yes. And, I mean, I don't really – it's not – I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad fight. It's perfectly fine. It doesn't, like, get me super pumped up. But Leo Santa Cruz against Ray Vargas, that's about as solid as you can get in the featherweight division And, by the
0: way, Wood, you know this, Conlon is a bigger deal in the U.K., honestly, than I think Wood is with Santa Cruz.
1: Maybe, and Vargas maybe versus yeah. Leo, you know, in, in yes. the United States on the yes. West Coast is sort of a biggest deal. And you know what? If that were to be the way the scenario played out, and Leo Santa Cruz fought Ray Vargas and Lee Wood had a rematch against Michael Conlin, you know what? The two fighters that would emerge from those two wins and you make them in a unification fight, that would be a sign nice thing up. to say. So sign me up. I like you know, that. But again, I have no, I'm totally fine if Leo, if Lee Wood Uh, and and Leo Santa Cruz fight each other, that's a good matchup also. So the good thing is there's a lot of scenarios in the featherweight division that would be good for the fighters, good for the promoters, good for the TV, good for us fans, uh, give us reporters lots of things to write about. So it's really kind of a win-win all the way around, whatever scenario unfolds, as long as it's them fighting real guys. All right. Fair enough.
0: Good stuff from Conlon. He gets the win. He's got options open. Same thing with Virgil Ortiz. We've been recapping all of it. I think we're pretty well done for a Fight Freaks Unite recap. Anything else in closing, Dan Rayfield, before we're gone here? I think we're gone, baby. I think we're good. Got Teofimo Lopez back in the ring later this week in the ESPN Top Rank main event. First time we will have seen him since the loss last November to George Kambosos. Uh, that coming in Las Vegas, so we're anxious to talk more about that in the preview mode. Any news or other items? Check out, uh, check us out on uh, Big Fight Weekend. Check out Dan Substack, Fight Freaks Unite. But for now, we're good. A Virgil Ortiz win, a Michael Conlon win, and Dan still swatting the trolls on social media, including Hasim Rahman Jr. about the failed fight with Jake Paul. Brother, have a good week. Thank you, as always, Dan Rayfield.
1: All right, TJ. Talk to you a minute.
0: I am merely TJ Reeves. Again, follow or subscribe on this Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. You get Fight Freaks Unite off the weekend if you're following or subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. For now, we're good on the Fight Freaks Unite recap. Bye.